Oh, well, that's a very kind welcome, and uh, I, it's great to be here. And uh, I know it's not about the buildings, but I do like this one. This is <laughs> it's really good. I just, yeah. Well done. Who, did, who designed this? Is it you? It's great. I really like it. it makes us feel like a proper church. Just like, yeah. Anyway, uh, so let me get myself organised here with everything. Watch, timetable, Bible. You need all those things, don't you? Uh, as David said, it, was really, it really is lovely to be here, and um, I very much, well Sue and I, my wife Sue and I, we very much value the friendship we've had uh, with uh, David and Liz and lots of all the other sphere leaders, and uh, I prefer, actually, I mean how we call them spheres, but I prefer to call them families of churches, because I think sphere sounds like something that you're drawing, um, whereas we're families of churches, and um, we've got brothers and sisters and cousins and fathers and mothers, and to the best of our ability, the whole point of having these families of churches, we have to give them names so that you have a, you know, a charity status and a website, but that's the only reason they're called anything. Not, the name is, is just a vehicle. It is all about the relationships and all the rest of it. And as, it, as in any family, um, families are supposed to grow and have children, have sons and daughters that become mothers and fathers that have sons and daughters that become mothers and fathers. So I think the journey ahead uh, is, uh, and I know David feels the same way as me on this, that we're, we're not just wanting to create just one great big large sphere that is some like organisational thing that we're sort of sitting on top of who's got the biggest sphere. I mean, that, that, is, that is just not what this is about. This is about having sons and daughters that become mothers and fathers. And um, maybe some of you might end up leading apostolic families in the future. That would be cool, wouldn't it? You can do a better job than we are. You can watch all our mistakes and think, well, I could do that better than that. That's actually often how the calling starts. You watch someone else and get so irritated by what they're doing. And it, it, can, it can start in a very ungodly way, but God often takes rough diamonds and if you're willing if you're willing to let him shape you um, you know it's a bit like Joseph isn't it all these amazing visions everyone's going to bow down in front of me I mean he was right but that wasn't quite the right way to do it it's the diamond in the rough Uh, and often God takes something maybe even in you today there's something and you kind of it's not just for young people. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the conference is called you know, Chosen for Purpose. And uh, the great thing about God is that we've all got a purpose. Do you know, I was most encouraged uh, when I found this piece of research recently. I don't know if it's true, but I liked it. So I'll, it's true for me. All right, that's, that's good biblical truth. There. It's true for me. Um, so, and uh, it, it was saying that people in, people in their 50s to 70s, uh, make the greatest contribution in their life between those ages. So young people, ha ha, <laughs> go way to wait. Older folks, yes, come on. And uh, the point is that I, I, God intends us to be fruitful all, all the time. And and often the reason you make the greatest contributions once you've you know matured in age. Um, it's simply because you've got life experience, you've been through a lot of battles, a lot of things and stuff. And if you keep obeying God, 
That's the thing. You know, it's actually God's ways are very simple. Just keep obeying him. They're not easy. There's a difference. Simple doesn't mean easy. And often the people who make the most fruitful contributions in life to God's kingdom, and if they're chosen for purpose, their purpose comes to fruition, are those who just simply keep going with obedience, trust, love. It's just simple things. So this morning I wanted to just look at a Bible character and just draw some kind of principles involved in outworking a calling. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1. And um, there, are, there are principles throughout scripture in, in lots of um, uh, characters, men and women we find throughout the Bible who've gone on a journey with God. And we can just see how their journey is outworked. And very often their journey um, does take quite a, quite a while. Um, before we just get to read the passage, I think it's important we understand that you know, we, God has a, has a purpose for us all. Now your, your job, your work, the thing you earn money from doing, if you have a, a, a job um, at the moment, that, that might not necessarily be your calling. It might be, but it might not necessarily be your calling. Paul made tents on occasions, but that wasn't his calling. He could do it, he was trained, he's probably quite a good one, I don't know. But I probably, I don't know, supplied the millets of his day, I don't know what he did. But he, he, that, was not his, that was not his calling, right? but he did that as part of his life to facilitate his calling. So... Other people are called into things where they earn their money, and that is what God's purpose is for them. So I'm just trying to say that across this room today, and um, whoever else ends up listening to some of these things, uh, we are all unique, we're all different, we all have a calling and a purpose, all of, all of us. And, and that needs outworking through, through our lifetime. Um, you find that God has to, God apprehends a man or a woman, it's just an audience of one. It's this thing that has to happen between us and God. And you'll find it all the way through the Bible, whether it's Jesus, Paul, Abraham, Sarah, Deborah, any, any, any people you find, any Bible characters, there's this apprehending that goes on, this, this individual kind of dealings. God has individual dealings with us. Um, and what is built through your life most of the time will have its roots in those individual dealings that God has with you. And often those dealings, they require great patience. And I would say, just personally reflecting, uh, I knew a, a calling on my life to pretty much doing what I'm doing now um, when I was about 20. Now I'm now 55. And I would say only probably in the last five years have I come into what I felt God speak to me about when I was 20. Um, so I hope I live a bit longer just to enjoy it a bit more. But the point, <laughs> the point is that, um, now it doesn't mean those 20 years were, you know, those 30 years were, were, were you know, less than the, the real deal. It's just that in order for God to get you to the point where he wants you to, uh, if you look at the natural world, things flourish after seasons, don't they? And you, you, you come into, we all go through seasons of flourishing, then pruning, then flourishing, then pruning. And, uh, and if you look at something that's been tended well, but a vine, a vine that's been tended well, it produces more and more and more. Uh, but it takes years to get there. And actually, vines grow best in poor soil because it's, it's the struggle that produces the, the vintage. You know, so, so 
don't despise the day of um, waiting. And, and uh, we do live in a in a in a McDonald's culture. Um, there's no, nothing against McDonald's. Yeah, nice. Just it's fast. You know. So even when you order a coffee, and they give it to you straight away, they say, uh, "Sorry for the wait." So, so I, try this. Next time that happens, say, waiting's good for me. It's nice for me to wait because it prepares me. I'm enjoy, I'm, I enjoyed, anti, I anticipated the coffee so that when I got it, it was just that much nicer. They, watch their faces. Try that. Try that. But the, the, we don't think like that, do we? We think, come on, let's get this now. Chosen for purpose. Boom. Off we go. Uh, yeah, okay. But that's not, we're not the finished article. If you, it's a bit like we can be like, a, imagine a young sapling a tree and, and you want to really grow and you know, spread your branches and uh, you know, be this mighty oak. And that's good to have godly ambition to really become something. And it's not just an individual thing, it's a church thing. Everything I'm saying can be applied individually or to churches, corporately. In some ways, probably it's best to apply it corporately as well because, you know, we are, we are one body in that sense. So we all share in each other's fruitfulness. Um, I don't get onto that. Uh, <laughs> yes, the sapling. So you want to grow. And it's like we feel, uh, maybe you feel, oh, there's lots of restrictions in my life, circumstances, difficulties. It's like grabbing knots of rope tied around a tree trunk. And you think, oh, if only I could get those ropes off. You know, just, you know, finances problem, you know, family problems, uh, can't work out my calling, difficulties, health issues, all, all sorts of things. You think, oh, I feel so restricted. If only it was free of this. If only my circumstances were free of this, I could flourish. And you kind of can't get these ropes off. It's like you try to untie them and you try to get them off the tree. So the tree, you know, you just on there. You get a knife to them. You try to hack them off. You try everything you can. These ropes are just there. Ah, oh, my circumstances. Just cannot untie them. I cannot get rid of these things myself. How is, what is the only way you can get those ropes off? If unpicking it doesn't work and a, a knife doesn't work. What, what's, what's the only way? It's not a trick question. Think. See? The tree grows. Because eventually the tree grows and nothing, nothing will stop it. Those ropes eventually go... But that can take years. Years. So you might think, there's things in my life that cannot be through... You know, you come to the front, you prayed for... Has it changed? No. No, I'm not, you know, not dismissing instant. You know what I'm trying to say. This is about purpose and outworking a life. Um, So anyway, that's that's all kind of an introduction, really. Um, So anyway, let's get to the Bible. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. And now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I'm giving them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, 
Toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand, that you might have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is, going, is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses." Whoever rebels against your commandment uh, commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Father, I pray as we just look together at um, this chapter, please help me, Lord, to know which things to focus on, which things to leave. Help me, Holy Spirit. Um, Yeah, Holy Spirit, help me to know what you're doing here today and to use whatever gift you've given me to serve these people really well so that your family might really become all that you want her to be. Your, your church might become this beautiful bride arising in all the earth. We, we, we love what you're doing. And we really pray, Lord, that these words would really help us. Uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd do something beyond words, that um, even if some of my, some things I've prepared don't get said, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you say the things through me that you really want to say and um, make them fruitful, make them land on good soil so that there is a 30, 60, 100-fold fruitfulness coming out of today. Um, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. One other thing I should have said at the beginning is also, I think that, um, as David said, uh, families of churches, spheres, um, beginning to sort of partner together. Um, my hope is that even what we're doing today, uh, the ripples of what we're doing, even go further than what we're doing, if you see what I mean. Because I think it's, it's just trying to uh, just recognise, you know, if we make... 
godly progress and godly choices on things others think oh that's not a bad idea perhaps we'll do that and um, we've already been partnering with Edward Burrier and Kenya quite a lot and um, tremendous sort of increasing sense of um, partnership there and and as David says you know we've known each other many years and we sense that there's some things we can do together it's God gives you separate fields it's not about like blurring everything so it's all kind of muddly and no one quite knows what's it's about actually no how do you bless each other's fields areas that got you know I say right okay how do we how do we do that together so I, I think today is really significant um not just for you know the content of um this session anyway I just wanted to say that so anyway um a few things just to learn that Joshua had to go through. Now, apparently it says we've got to have a toilet break at some point, um, which we're rapidly running towards. Um, if you want to go to the toilet, just let me know, all right? We'll st- <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll <laughs> no, we, we will stop. I will get, probably get halfway through and I'll stop, and then we'll come back and do the, do the <laughs> whatever. Um, the first thing just to, to notice, I think, is, uh, is in verse 1. It says, after the death of Moses very simple first point is there are transition seasons that happen uh, all of us go through transition seasons every single one of us you know uh, you might be someone who likes transition you like change but not everybody does um, whether you do or don't it's happening you know uh, you go through transitions at work in family at church can be unsettling um, because uh, Yep, things aren't the same. You can feel insecure, all sorts of things. You know, imagine how Joshua felt. He suddenly hasn't got his kind of spiritual father to look at anymore. Suddenly now the weight of everything rests on him. But transition's absolutely necessary before a fresh move of God can happen. So, so we have to therefore embrace it and get used to it rather than resist it and refuse it. Because <laughs> transition is necessary and this is a major transition, you know, a son to a father. And this, this uh, Joshua, this, as it were, Mo- Moses' spiritual son, is kind of moving from the safety of the harbour and the shelter of being under Moses' kind of watchful eye. And he's, he's, he's like a ship leaving the harbour. Um, he's no longer shielded. He's no longer got the safety uh, and protection of others and he's out in the open seas of having to make his own decisions and carry now a load uh, where it can be feel vulnerable, lonely uh, it just feels very different and, and what I find with leadership particularly or, or with anything where you're really going to try and uh, extend the kingdom in some ways is when you actually are in the position that you've longed for God to open up to you, you suddenly think, ooh, this is a bit scary. It doesn't seem so attractive then. <laughs> think, why did I ask for this? Crazy. And it may be that this morning, you know, your roots might be being disturbed a bit. You might be feeling a bit, um, you know, uprooted, unsettled in a challenging situation. Slightly, slightly unpleasant Spiritual battle precedes spiritual breakthrough. That, that is the reality. A spiritual battle will always precede spiritual breakthrough. In Gethsemane, spiritual battle precedes spiritual breakthrough. In Jesus in the wilderness, spiritual battle precedes spiritual breakthrough. Paul on the road to Damascus, spiritual battle always precedes spiritual breakthrough. You, you, anyone you pick. And part of transition, involves, it's a, it is a spiritual battle. 
It's a battle for you to become what God wants you to become. And it does involve sometimes relationship tension, circumstances tension, all kinds of things coming at you. You think, this is really very, very uncomfortable. I'm not enjoying this one little bit. This is a good point to start on, isn't it, really? <laughs> Chosen for purpose. It's going to be, it's going to be difficult. Well, uh, it is. And just put yourself in Joshua's situation. This is very, Moses is dead. He can't, like, he hasn't retired. He can go and have a cup of tea with him every now and again. So what would you do if you were me? He can't. Oh, it's gone. He's gone. Um, for many years, I worked very, very closely with a dear well, spiritual father of mine called Keith Hazel, who's a remarkable prophet. And um, I, so I, I love working like apostle and prophet together. I, I think that's very biblical. I think that's how it should be anyway. But I was so used to... I knew that God had given me the grace to build something as long as I know what I'm supposed to do. Right? Because it's apostolic grace. You, you know you've got the grace to do it. But it's, just, you don't, it's just a grace. But I often didn't know what to do. Keith being this remarkable prophet, he would have the grace to know exactly what we should do, but he wouldn't have the grace to do it. So it worked brilliantly. So, yeah, he just sort of hear God, and I'd say, right, let's do this. And it worked. Now he's gone to glory. I think, man, you're suddenly in a transition moment. And you think, this isn't quite how it was. <laughs> I've no got, not got anyone to ask anymore. But the funny thing, is, I, uh, when that happened, I said to the Lord, what am I going to do now? clear as anything it wasn't audible but it was all you know it was like one of those moments he said my sheep hear my voice I thought okay that's good enough for me you'll provide and he has do you know what what's happened is out of that transition lots of other prophetic ministries men and women are popping up all over the place and uh, if anything I've got an abundance of you know stop <laughs> please just all right already just just do one thing at a time so it's, uh, you have to go through the pain of change, but you are go, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it does, it produces, you know, there's this thing of transition. So we all have to go through transition. If we're called for purpose, you and I will constantly face seasons of transition that will, just when we, get it, we think we've got it all, you know, together and sorted and it's nice and enjoyable and comfortable, God will break up the nest. He, he, he just, he's just not being cruel, he just wants us to be more fruitful than we ever thought we could be. And if a healthy vine produces fruit, the Bible says, the vine dresser you know, prunes it, that it be, might be more fruitful. So be prepared for that. Second, in verse 2, it says, um, uh, Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I'm about to give you. Now, if he just said, go into the land... That's fairly straightforward, but there's this small matter of the Jordan. Um, and the point is that faith has to be embraced as a lifestyle. If you're chosen for purpose and you're really going to implement and fulfill the calling of God on your life, you have to live a life of faith all the time. Faith is not a gift to be exercised on occasions. It is a lifestyle to live every day. There are surges of the gift of faith, but that doesn't mean it comes and goes. It's, it's a, an environment. And I also believe there's something important about environments of faith in local churches. Now, we get into slightly dangerous thin ice when we start talking about faith because it can become rather subjective. Uh, have you got enough faith? Have you got enough? I, I don't think those, I don't think those questions are ever really helpful. 
the question to me is, is faith present? Rather than who's got how much? And who is your faith in? Um, and I, I think there has to be this... Joshua had to um, cross the Jordan. He had to, he had to navigate something. If he's going to have the promised land, there's a price to pay. And the price isn't money. The price is steps of faith. Steps of faith. Um, and the trouble with a step of faith is that, you know, <laughs> that don't look a lot of fun, does it? Because you think, well, there's nothing there. Am I going to just look, and not only really look silly, but hurt myself? You know, it's... I don't know if any of you have been to, uh, it's a long way away from here, in Cornwall, but um, into the Eden Project, or know what the Eden Project is. Anyone know what that is? Yeah, these big sort of domes of, of uh, microclimates they've created where all different plants, they create these atmospheres so that pl- different plants from all around the world can grow in the environment that's most conducive to that plant. And um, my wife and I went there when it first opened, years and years ago. And you've got these huge domes. There's about five, five domes all look like sort of half a golf ball sort of stuck in the earth. Huge things. And when we went, and it had just been built, so the plants are like that big. You know, you think, isn't this a bit of an over... You know, over... You know, you've over sort of shot the runway a bit here. It's just plants about that big. And this dome, you know, filling this cavernous thing. You look up, man, this is a plant like that. But the point is... They're creating a climate. And if you create the right climate and protect the climate and preserve the climate and nourish the climate, then all the plants grow. Now, church is supposed to be like that. When Jesus went back to Nazareth, he wasn't able to do many mighty works because of their unbelief. See, the corporate atmospheres do really do matter. Now, it's true that Joshua had to have faith. There's Jordan, he had to lead them across, but actually they all had to follow so call for purpose isn't individualistic. It will always have impact on the body of Christ. It will, it will always have an impact on us corporately. So I suppose what I'm feeling more and more these days is I want to make sure that faith is present in the atmosphere. I know it's very subjective, but faith is actually quite subjective, isn't it? So when Jesus comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's what he's looking for. And that, that came at the end of the story of the persistent widow praying. That's where that verse comes. He's looking for the... Faith sometimes just looks like keep going. You know, just keep going. Just keep going. Well, I'm not stopping because you promised it. Two of us... One of us is going to have to stop and it isn't going to be me. That actually is faith. God likes that. He likes that. If you, you know, just take him as it were. Well, you've made a promise. I'm going to keep doing it. Your problem. If you don't mean it, don't say it. I'm, not, I'm really not being disrespectful. I'm just saying God likes that. Well, Lord, if you perhaps might, you know, possibly, you know, perhaps... Yeah. No, he he's not really impressed with that. He is impressed with, you have said it, I am obeying it. I mean, they had to stand with their feet in the water before anything happened. It didn't part before they went in it. They're, they're in it. Now, you're either going to look very silly um, or something God's got to meet his end of the bargain... So if you're chosen for purpose, trying to make an impact, trying to get you, faith has to be a lifestyle. And you know what? Bigger levels, bigger devils. <laughs> you know, I, I, I scare myself sometimes. And I say, oh, really? Do I have, you know, you make big decisions about things. There's something on my mind at the moment I'm trying to think about for next year. I'm thinking, you know, what do I do? Do I do this? Do I do that? 
What if I do it and it doesn't work? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money if that goes wrong. And that's, that's life. If you want to do something for God, you're never going to escape those wrestling moments, which is why you've just got to constantly come out. What did God say? And Joshua had to keep coming back. No, faith, faith. I will cross this Jordan. God has commanded me. I'm going to cross this Jordan. There's something ahead here, so I'm going to keep crossing. Even if it looks difficult, even if my feet are wet, even if the river's still... <laughs> I'm putting my feet in this river. It's a lifestyle. Next, one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. No man will be able to stand with you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Five words that should change our complete perspective. I will be with you. I tell you, that's worth more than a million pounds in the bank. Isn't it? I will be with you. If you could ask for anything in this world in five words, you can't do better than that. (laughs) You know, I will be with God is promising his presence. Ongoing, continuous, not reversible. There's no small print. I will be with you. So therefore, as far as I'm concerned, I'm feeling more and more that my priority, therefore, is to engage with his presence. If he's saying, I will be with you, well, then my response is, I want to fellowship with him. I want to fellowship with him. So... It's out of that secret place that no one else sees. The, 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 you know, go into your room with the door shut. You know, it's that, it's that spiritual authority is birthed in the place of spiritual intimacy. And you can't get spiritual intimacy unless you're in secret with an audience of one. And out of that will come spiritual authority. It's all, you, spiritual authority is internal and organic, it's not external and structural. So, so we, we, we minister from internal authority. But you can't have internal authority unless you get it in the presence of fellowshipping with the one who said, I will be with you. And it's the stuff no one else sees. Uh, no one sees that. It's, it, but I can tell you, if you ever look at anyone who's being fruitful for God, I, God, I tell you, there will be a secret place somewhere. There will be. No, it's a, we outwork it differently. Some of us, you know, yeah, we're all different in how we do that. But the priority must be fellowship with him because he's promising I will be with you. Um, is it all right if I just do one more and then have a quick break? Do you want to do that? Is that do that? Yeah, just want to make sure you're not crossing your legs and sitting there too. All right, we're nearly at the time. <laughs> the next one is um, verse 6 where he says, Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land. Now, I want to just quickly talk about the power of prophecy. Um, This is a promise. You shall cause this people to cross over. And in in 2 Timothy 1.18, we kind of get a New Testament version of that, where Paul just reminds Timothy how to lead well. Um, 2 Timothy 1.18... No, that's not right. It must be 1 Timothy 1.18. If it isn't there, oh, that's good. Um, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, Timothy, 
there's things God has spoken into your life and over your life that should be directing your life. And if you hold on to the prophetic data you have and position yourself so that it's easy for God to fulfill them, you can't make them happen. So if God's promised you some things, you can't, don't run ahead and try and make it happen. That's not good. That's what Joseph did. It's, it's, not, it's not good. But you can position yourself so that when God leads you, it's easy, you're, you're, it's easy for him to lead you. Yeah? He doesn't have to keep going, no, this way. No, no come, come back. You're, you're positioned easily. So Paul is saying to Timothy, position, position yourself. Remember what God said to you, Timothy? He promised you things. Don't, what are you, why are you getting over there? What are you doing that for? God hasn't said that. What are you doing that? You're distracted. Get back. Get back. What did he say to you? Right, hold on to the things God has said to you. That is, if you live in the good of the prophetic word over your life, you will ultimately bear fruit. Now, you might say, oh, yeah, well, does everybody have to have a prophetic word? Well, no, you can live life without one. But if I read my Bible correctly, Paul seemed to encourage everybody to prophesy. Because, and he said, I want you, okay, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more that you might all prophesy. Why is he so keen on it? He's keen on it because he knows the power of strengthening, encouraging, consoling energy that comes from people who believe the Bible but also live in the immediate guiding of God through Holy Spirit leading. He knows that that's powerful. That's powerful. So I covet prophetic words. I covet them. I said, Lord, what are you saying to me? No, they all have to be tested, weighed, and all the rest of it. And, you know... If you, you, you don't need to tell you that. Well, I'm assuming I don't need to tell you that. You've, just got, you've got to be wise with it all. But this is tried and tested stuff that Paul is saying to Timothy. It's tried and tested. Others spoke this over you. We all know it's correct. Keep on track with it. There's, there's accountability in it. There's plurality in it. There's a witness of the Spirit with it. There's witness of other people in it. Timothy, keep on track. It's exactly the same with Joshua. You will cause these people to... Listen... God may have made promises over your life and they seem completely impossible. Well, if they seem possible, you don't need God, do you? What is the point of a prophetic promise telling you the inevitable? That's, you know, thus saith the Lord, you are a man. And you are a man. You think, well, okay. You know, thus saith the Lord, you will walk many places. Isn't it? So this, okay. There's got to be something that, only if God doesn't fulfill it, it's not going to happen. You know, I'm believing God. I, I mean, you don't, some of you don't know me at all, so you might think, crikey, is he completely off his trolley? <laughs> Maybe I am, but I'll be gone soon, so don't worry about it. <laughs> As for, I, I'm believing God that playing my part alongside with us, I'm believing God for global impact. Right Now, I'm from Lowestoft. You don't even know where that is. You don't want to know where that is. Right, but why am I believing God for that? Because he said it to me. He said it to me. And I want to get to the end of my life so that people go, how did that happen? Don't you? So people don't look at you and say, wow, look what they did. They look at you and think, how did God do that through that? 
I almost want to make it harder for him. I mean, isn't that what God does? He takes nobodies from nowhere and does things through them that everybody don't. They, when people look at them, they don't put that person on the pedestal. They say, look what God did with a nobody from nowhere. I mean, praise God, if, if you're a nobody from nowhere and you think no one notices me, I'm in a city of tens of thousands of people. And, praise God, he can take hold of you and do something with you that is most unlikely and somewhere most improbable. It's a bit like, you know, listening to people debate the resurrection. On, and they say, well, it's, you know, scientists, it's most improbable. It's not improbable, it's impossible. It's the whole point. <laughs> It's very improbable, Jesus wrote. No, it's impossible. Just let's make it impossible. Yeah, I mean, it's the God we have. And, and pray it back to God. Draw strength going forward from the encounters you have. And you know it's God who spoke to you. Just keep drawing strength. I mean, I like to sort of journal. I, 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 I keep journal things of a biblical sort of... Um, meditation things I get out of the scriptures but I also like to record when there's a prophecy I write it down, I, I don't just forget it I pray it, I pray it, I pray it I've got a whole file of stuff and I regularly get it out I pray it back to God, I pray it back to God and I keep doing it until, it's, until it happens I've been doing that for years and I've got a track record of things that were said years ago that are now starting to happen but you have to put sometimes years of prayer into things that something God said years ago. He said, no, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep praying. I'm not stopping. Persistent widow. You know, I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping because you said it. You said it. The next uh, thing just to pick out from here is what I've called uh, internal issues. So in one chapter 1, verse 6, and then verse 9. Well, actually, three times. It's... Uh, uh, it's said, be strong and courageous. So it's not just said once, it's three times, and even everybody else joins in at the end. You know, verse 18, be strong and courageous. So uh, whatever the issue, well, obviously the issue was sort of fear and timidity or whatever, but it wasn't like something Joshua was just struggling with internally. Obviously everybody else could see it as well. So no, be strong and courageous. The point being... Um, before there can be any advance for God, there has to be encounter with God. So, so the Lord doesn't tell Joshua the sort of map as to how he's going to get into the promised land and what he's going to do when he's there. You know, you'd kind of think Joshua would probably be expecting that. Okay, tell me where do we live? Where do we settle? What's the city look like? How do we do this? How do we, how do, we do the agriculture? How do we build the... You know, you'd want the details of what we're going to do. God's, in, God's interested in the internal issues in Joshua first because he knows if he can sort the internal issues out then actually the external the external Joshua's gift will sol solve that's why he's been called and he's gifted so your, your gifting and my gifting will is sufficient to do the things that God wants us to do you don't need anything else you've got the gifting God has given you if we're chosen for purpose and we find and we walk in the purposes of God collectively as a church and as individuals. Our gifting is sufficient to do what God has asked us to do. What often prevents that gifting from being as fruitful as it could be is not the lack of gifting, it's the lack of dealing with the internal issues that stop the gifting from flourishing. 
So God is getting hold of Joshua's internal agenda before he's giving him his external agenda. Um, so what I think this also tells us is, again speaking personally, is that leading ourselves is much harder than leading other people. Um, but he doesn't just say it once to, to him, does he? Now, why, why does God keep repeating it? Well, because he, he knows that this isn't one of those things you can fix in a moment. He knows this is Joshua's predisposition. He knows this is Joshua's pattern of thinking. This is his emotional blueprint. This is his... Um, or whether it's nurture or nature, I don't really know. But whatever it is, it's what it is. And it needs redeeming. Whether it's, whether it's you know, how he's always been or how he's become, as it were, and how he thinks or whatever. It needs redemption. It, ne- it needs attention. And I think the thing it also te- teaches us is this, that internal issues that we deal with are very rarely dealt with as a one-off. Because it's repeated. They're very rarely dealt with as a one-off. I find personally that there are things, my internal issues have probably not changed all through my adult life, but I've learnt, I hope, how to let the grace of God permeate them in a way that they cease to become as much of an issue as they were. Yeah? And I trust that as God changes me from one degree of glory to the next, uh, gradually the issues that I struggle with internally become less dominant. Yeah. But it's unlikely that any one of us, if, we're, you know, if we've got certain personality traits or certain emotional issues or certain strongholds being patterns of thought that are ungodly, things that have become... You know how, how we are. It's unlikely that you can come to the front of a meeting, get prayed for, and that will never be an issue for you again. That's unlikely. Um, in fact, I would say it's probably impossible. And there's good biblical reference for that, because you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's, that's a process. So he's got to get hold of his internal issues, and, and sometimes it takes a while for us to realise... Um, what they are, we, we, we need help um, to get perspective on ourselves. One of the things I have increasingly, uh, well, I wouldn't say I've learned to enjoy it. That's not quite true. How to, yeah. Once you're in the position where you, 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 know, you feel you're doing something that is bigger than you feel comfortable doing naturally, you think to yourself... Um, which is basically what we should all be doing. We should all be doing something that feels bigger than we should be doing naturally because that's why you need faith to do it. But once you're in that position, I've kind of learned criticism is my friend. Um, now, sometimes the wrong person in the wrong way for the wrong reasons with the wrong attitude does say precisely the right thing. <laughs> it's very irritating. <laughs> uh, and we... And, um, and even, you know, when you've got good friends who know you very well, sometimes they say things and you think, well, I know you're right, but do you really need to say it? don't need to say that. Tell me something nice. <laughs> so, no, you know, good friends often tell you where your 
my wife's good at that. She's, yeah, she, she's great. She's really intuitive. She sees round corners better than I do. Um, even in, you know, in me, she'll see round corners I don't see and say, why do you do that? Why did you say that? Why are you thinking like that? I don't know. Well, it's not helpful, is it? Well, no, it's not really. <laughs> Isn't that annoying? Um, but she's right. You know, and, and the point is, Joshua had to deal with his internal stuff. Most of us, we're not, we're not, we're not hindered in fruitfulness because of lack of gifting. But I could, I could give you the names of hundreds of <laughs> believers who had phenomenal gifting but are, are unfruitful today because they didn't deal with the internal issues. Be strong and courageous. Didn't deal with it or whatever it was. You know, let's, get on to the, let's get on to the stuff. Well, no, that is the stuff. The stuff comes out of that. You're fruitful from being, you know... Put in the soil you need to be to grow. Next thing, very quickly, is uh, this one's a very quick one. I've just got one more. Uh, in verse 8, uh, the book of the law, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Build it by the book. This is a, a simple thing, but the authority of Scripture is under attack in our day. Um, there are cultural trends, there are philosophical trends, there are emotional trends, there are all sorts of trends, winds, waves, doctrine, there always will be, always has been. Build it by the book. The principles in the Bible can be contextualized into any culture in any part of the world, in any time of history, and they always will look the same as principles, even if their contextual outworking is very different. Main and plain. Keep it simple. Just keep it very, very simple. We get far too complicated, and we create theological words that are not even in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, we, we make it hard for ourselves. One of the reasons I love working with leaders from the global south and the global east is they are not complicated about their faith. And that's not an insult. They actually say, no, we're not complicated. We don't want to be. Thank you very much. You can keep all that. You Westerners have become so complicated, it's squashed your faith. You're too complicated. And I think, no, you're right. Why are you seeing explosive growth? because you're not complicated you're keeping it simple we've got so many books blogs, conferences blog a day you can I mean most of it okay it might be right but is it doing any good did anyone get saved through it the bottom line for me is are there thousands of people coming to Christ Oh yes, but we need theology. Yeah, we've got we've been doing theology for five hundred years since the Reformation. I think we know what the gospel looks like. Let's keep keep it simple. I think the danger in the West is not kind of keeping it relevant, it's keeping it right. Just simple thing. I mean the fact he says meditate on it day and night, that's a lifestyle. That's a you, 
to be honest with you, I don't read, well, you probably guessed this, I don't read a lot of really heavy theology, latest thoughts on this, that, and the other. Why? Well, partly because I don't understand the big words, but, uh, but to be honest, I want to study God. So I spend most of my time reading devotional stuff. I want to study the nature and character of God. I want to get to know God. I want to, I want to understand him, because if I understand him, I'll understand his word. If I understand his word, I'll understand him. The two, it's a circle. Uh, it's, it, and, and I kind of feel that there, there can, we can become so professionally academic about actually what is a relationship. Fundamentally, this is a relationship with a living saviour. It is not an academic exercise into trying to diagnose who it is I have the relationship with. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? We can get so cerebral, we miss the, we miss the embrace. So, meditate on it day and night. Now, I like to journal. I like, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you've got a journal, a pen, a Bible, and you pray, that's pretty much all you need to get started. Isn't it? Mm. Well, I, well, I think it is anyway. Um, and then, yeah, oh, oh, I said one more. There's two more. Sorry, very quickly. Uh, verse ten says, uh, verse sorry, verse eleven. Pass through the midst of the camp, command the people, prepare your provisions for in three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Serving the church is the end of every gifting in this room. Serving the church. One of the things that first, where I first felt the call of God on my life was I was, I'd just become a Christian. I was about, I'd been a Christian a couple of years. I'd been baptized in the spirit, which was, you know, very unusual in those days. I came from a brethren background um, which was cessationist, didn't believe in gifts, gifts of the Spirit at all. And I was sovereignly baptised in the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know what happened to me. Someone had to explain what was going on. Anyway, so I really started to grow in a couple of years. And I went into this conference, um, a local conference, about 500 people in this conference. And I sat there as a newly baptised in the Spirit believer, really recognising, man, the church needs this. Where's this? We've, we've been robbed. And I sat in 500 people, and the guy, lovely brother, a really lovely brother in Christ, really lovely brother, but he said, tongues is of the devil, prophecy doesn't happen anymore, gifts of the Spirit are not for today. And I remember feeling, looking around, and a feeling of utter um, overwhelmed, I felt so overwhelmed that God's people were being robbed of their inheritance. I, 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 I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I drove home, well, I was in a car with someone driving home, and I wept, I wept, and I wept, and I wept. When I got in the car, I just, I cried my eyes out. And he, my friend said, are you all right? I said, I think so, I don't know. Because I, I, I wasn't actually upset. I was, it, was like, it was like God was crying through me. I could feel his pain. And I can trace right back what I'm even doing today to that moment. Because I was, I was incensed that the church was robbed of her inheritance. Because ultimately, everything we do is that the church may have her inheritance. Isn't it? It's that we are not serving our individual agendas. 
We're, we're serving the church, which is his bride. We're, we're, we're helping the church to become all that he wants her to be so that she is the one who's presented faultless before him. And I, and I think Joshua, okay, Joshua has the call, but what is the call for? The call is to get the people over, isn't it? It's not Joshua, I've got a great future for you. You're going to be, you know, you can write lonely planet guides from Canaan and everyone can read of your travels and all the cafes you sat in and here's a picture of me and, well, you know, that's not what it was about. Joshua went over so he could lead the others over so they they would all get into the land. All, no one left behind, no one without an inheritance, no one without their inheritance. As far as I'm concerned, church leadership should have that written under it. If you are in any leadership, it is that no one loses their inheritance. That's what it's for. Everyone has what God has got for them. Lastly, we have talked about this, but I'll just comment on it again. Um, uh, Just verse 10, where it just says, Joshua commanded the officers of the people. Now I could then look at verse 16, where it says, and they answered Joshua, all that you've commanded us, we will do. And what, wherever you send us, we will go. Verse 17, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we will also obey you. Now what is that saying? That is saying they, they are willingly being led by him. Now it goes back to a point I made earlier. Uh, sometimes um, uh, emerging leaders, <laughs> perhaps I used to be like this, I don't know come to me and they say, look, you asked me to do this. Can you just tell the people um, that I'm now leading this, this resp- that I have this responsibility because they're not doing what I tell them? Yeah. <laughs> Can you just give me a, a title or just make it clear? Because uh, then, then I'll feel I've got some authority in the situation. Most of the time, I will then say, no, no. You start serving them and let the authority that God has given you start to be seen. Then I'll put a title on it. Because often we try to have the title before we've worked through the authority. Now you notice Joshua had served and served and served so that they recognized the call of God on him. They'd seen his development. They got to the point where they said, whatever you tell us to do, we will do it. Why, how does anybody willingly get to that point? They get to the point because they're looking at the person thinking, do you know what, I've got confidence in you because I've seen the work of God in you. There's no sh- shortcut to that. And if you want to lead people anywhere, you can only lead them out of the internal authority that is produced so that they recognize it in you. It was described to me once like this by my dear friend Keith Hazel. We sat in some airport once and we were just talking about apostolic ministry and David will probably bear witness to this. When the transition happened, it was a little bit, little bit intimidating, wasn't it? You think, will I be like a party, you know, and you're playing musical chairs and then you're the one left with no, cha- no chair. You know, there's no one going <laughs> to... A sphere with no one in it, you know. You're thinking, it's like, oh, crikey. It's just, a, you know, it's just a human insecurity is natural you just feel like that and I remember talking to Keith some years previously which kind of got me through that moment thinking well you know it doesn't really matter prove whether I should be doing it or not really if there's no one with you Um, but I remember him sitting in this cafe and he said apostolic ministry it's true of any ministry actually apostolic ministry is like being a musk ox okay tell me more he said a musk ox 
just stands in a field and smells. <laughs> a musk ox just smells like a musk ox. You don't have to go around with a T-shirt saying, I'm a musk ox. You don't have to put a banner up saying, musk ox here. You don't have to have a website saying, this is where you find the musk ox. A musk ox just smells like a musk ox. Why? Because it is a musk ox. And he say, other musk oxes will recognize the smell of a musk ox and they will jump into the field to be with you. You don't have to do anything. You just have to let the natural dynamic of who you are do the work for you. Just very releasing. If you're called to be an evangelist or you're called to be a prophet or you're called to be a, a real key leader in the business world or an influencer in politics... And it's quite intimidating to think, will anybody listen to me? Will anybody actually, have, will I make any, just stand in a field and smell. <laughs> you know, just, just let your aroma, let your aroma, uh, some of you, maybe, even in the Houses of Parliament, your aroma might start to smell. I actually haven't done anything to gain influence. I'm just being a musk ox. Then you can put a label on it. Get it? Too often we want the label before we've worked through the, the anointing. The anointing defines the label. The label doesn't define the anointing. So I guess I'm probably done there. Um, any questions? Okay, I wasn't going to do that, but I will. Any questions? Oh, <laughs> this is not a planted question by Danny. <laughs> you said something about. Um, I'll repeat the question. So every, the all the, the end of every gift in this room should be to serve the church. Hmm. What exactly do you mean? What I mean, uh, the question is: at the end of every gift in this room is to serve the church. What I mean is, even if you are serving in the sec- serving the secular world and the, and the needs of the common good or the needs of the needs of people not in the church, you are still part of the church and it's part of the beautification of the church. It's part of the glorification of the church. It's part of how the church shines on the earth, the city on a hill. The, it's part of how the mountain rises above all the other mountains and becomes more dominant globally because people shall see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So church beauty is not just inward and in a meeting. It's external and influential. So that's why every gift ultimately should reflect well back on the church that we are part of, because we're part of the body, eye, ear, hand, legs, feet, whatever. That's what I meant by it. So it should, all roads should lead back to the glory of the church, even if we're out there. And actually, we should be out there, but we're still the church.